and I think romance novels tend to have a very like they really do hold a mirror up to what's happening in society which I find very interesting and you know we often talk about the like novels of the 70s and 80s feeling like of another time but I even feel like that with some of the romance novels from like the 90s and the early 2000s I think just because as a society we move so quickly and romance novels really do keep up with that so you can see societal change as you read a book from the past which is totally fascinating welcome to steam scenes the podcast about wait hold on sure sex is well sexy but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun hi i'm el greco and i write steamy romance on my podcast steam scenes i'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive See what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Joining uh, joining today's episode of Steam Scenes is Stephanie London. Stephanie is a multi-award winning USA Today bestselling author of 30, that's three zero, contemporary romances and romantic comedies. Stephanie's books have been called genuinely entertaining and memorable by Booklist and elegant, descriptive, and delectable by RT Magazine. Her stories have won multiple industry awards, including the Holt Medallion and OKRWA National Reader's Choice Award. And she has been nominated for the Romance Writers of America's Rita Award. Um, Originally from Australia, Stephanie now lives in Toronto with her very own hero and is currently in the process of doing her best to travel the world. She frequently indulges in her passions for good coffee, lipstick, romance novels, and anything zombie-related. Stephanie, welcome to Steam Scenes. Thank you so much for having me. Whoo, I got through it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is really fantastic. Um, Thank you for being here. And I, like, literally just before we started, found out that Stephanie um, teaches how to write sex scenes at various romance writer conferences. So you are perfect. <laughs> You're perfect for this podcast. Tell us everything. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a topic that is really like a big hot button topic for me. So I absolutely love talking about it. Well, I'm curious to like, why do you think we stru- writers we <laughs> the royal we that would be me? Yeah, <laughs> um, and other writers. Like, why do you think we struggle with writing these intimate scenes? Well, I think you just said it right then, they're intimate. And I don't think intimacy is something that comes easily necessary to people. It's something that we have to really like dig deep into ourselves to access and to do that and then put that on display for the world can be quite intimidating. It really can be when you think about it like that. Absolutely. So for you, is it just, is it easy for you or do you, do you also struggle I think I have the opposite problem to some people, whereas when I get to a sex scene in one of my stories, I'm like, yes, that's like 3,000 words that I know was just going to fly out of me. And then I get to the black moment. I'm like, oh, I'm going to procrastinate on this for weeks on end because I don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So you sort of have, like, you have a total opposite reaction than I do because when I get to that, to writing those intimate scenes, I kind of everything to me grinds to a halt. And it's like... Mm working through molasses to get the word count out to get the words out it really is like struggle 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 and then I finish it and and then I'm zooming again with the writing it's it's very sort of interesting how how it stops my it sort of stops my flow 
Yeah, I can totally understand that. I think I like I have a lot of writer friends that have said to me in the past, oh, I'm, you know, worried about people reading it. And I think that that knowing that this is going to be something that other people read and that it is such an intimate thing can be it caused a little bit of a blockage in the writer's process. Whereas I find for me, my characters are happy when they're having sex and when the characters are happy, I can write uh, like endlessly. And then when I have to be mean to them, that's when I get blocked because I, <laughs> I don't like doing it. So I, I think that it's all about, I don't know, I very early on in my um, writing career, my father-in-law read my first book, which had some pretty steamy scenes in it. And I think that level of mortic- mortification will never be reached ever again. So now <laughs> I'm like, that's already happened. So I can do anything now. <laughs> So basically we have to hit peak mortification yep. and we'll be able to write these things. Yeah, no problem. Get it over with. All right. So I'm going to just sort of jump back a little bit. Um, when did you realize that you wanted to become a writer? Oh, I'm that terrible cliche that wanted to be a writer ever since I was a kid. I was like always a kid with a book in my nose and I used to like write and illustrate my own picture books when I was little and I just, you know, I have a business degree that's basically half an English lit degree because anytime I got to choose a subject, I put an English subject in there. So that's definitely been like my whole entire life has revolved around books and storytelling. Oh, wow. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So then what drew you to the romance genre in particular? Um, I knew I wanted to write a book and I actually wasn't sure what I wanted to write. I just had this urge within me for a long time to tell stories and to write and I actually grew up being more of a mystery reader than a romance reader but I was not sort of not sure what to do and my sister was actually the one that suggested it and she said why don't you just try writing a romance novel because it's just stories about people and you know people and I was like yeah I do know people and that seemed like a very like an interesting topic because I'm a bit of a frustrated psychologist. So I like sort of thinking about what makes people tick and why do they make the decisions that they make. And um, when I mentioned that to my mum, she went to like the local charity store and came home with a huge stack of romance novels for me to read. And that's when I actually started reading romance as well. And I totally fell in love with the genre based off the desire to write. So I kind of got to experience all of that at once, which was great. That's really cool because it's sort of like, I think you're probably the first author that I've spoken to that said that you kind of thought about writing in the genre, but you weren't necessarily an avid reader at first. And Mm. so when you went to research it and started reading the books, you just sort of fell in love with the genre, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, it was cool because I think that, you know, we have sometimes people that don't read the genre have an idea about what it is that's been sort of falsified by you know, people over time. And so when I started reading these books and I realized that, oh my God, these are amazing, uplifting, hopeful stories. And I've been missing out my whole life, not reading them. So I'm very glad that I came to the genre, both as a reader and writer at the same time. Yeah. I think there's a real sort of unfortunate stigma. I think that it's sort of deeply rooted in the fact that these are books for women, Mm -hmm. mostly by women, mostly for women, um, that I think has, you know, given it that a very unfair stigma. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, it, and even when you think back to um, some of those, you know, 60s and 70s romances, you know, they they look kind of questionable, you mm. know, to our 21st century eyes or 22nd century. Where are we right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but when you actually start digging in, you realize that they were pretty revolutionary for their time period. 
Mm, and I think romance novels tend to have a very, like they really do hold a mirror up to what's happening in society, which I find very interesting. And, you know, we often talk about the like novels of the 70s and 80s feeling like of another time, but I even feel like that with some of the romance novels from like the nineties and the early two thousands, I think just because as a society, we move so quickly and romance novels really do keep up with that. So you can see societal change as you read a book from the past, which is totally fascinating. That is really fascinating. I never thought of it like that, but that's super cool. Mm. That's really interesting. Okay. So we're going to talk about sex scenes Mm -hmm. to you. To you, what do you think makes a sex scene good? I think a sex scene is good when, no pun intended, it works as hard as every other scene <laughs> in the story. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, I think that like one of the things that people struggle with sex scenes is that they're so focused on the act itself when really I expect as much out of a sex scene as I do as every other scene in a book. I want character development. I want plot development. I want a deepening of the relationship. I want them to face their fears. And all of that happens during, when that happens during a sex scene, it can be really powerful. So how do you write that? Right? Like, do do you know, I don't know if I'm going to, if this question is going to come out in any way that you're going to be like, I get what you're saying, but but do you feel like, I'm just kind of wondering, is it because we're so focused on like maybe the choreography of the work or something like that, that we, that we kind of lose sight of how this is propelling the story forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the key things that people struggle with when writing a sex scene is that they are really focused on that, okay, where is this hand going and what's happening with this leg over here and, you know, that kind of stuff where what really is happening is that your characters are being absolutely stripped down to the core of themselves. They're bearing themselves to another person and any vulnerabilities that you have are going to show in this, whether they allow the other character to see it or not. So it might be an internal thing or it might be an external thing. And I think that the best thing that you can do to write really great sex scenes is to know your characters as well as possible. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you sat down to write your very first one, like go back in the way back machine, I know you have a lot of books, (laughs) you know, and I, and I don't even know how many you have, you know, sort of shoved away in a drawer that you don't count, but what was it like for you to write your very first one? Oh gosh. I, I think I had that feel like a lot of people do about people reading it and, you know, what are, what are they going to think of me if I make it too steamy or, you know, are they going <laughs> to yeah. find it boring if it's not steamy enough? And, you know, I definitely had all of those fears, just like most people do coming into writing these types of scenes. But I think for me, the one thing that really helped is that I have a very clear distinction in my head that I am not the person in the book, that those are separate right. people to me. And that when people are reading my books, they're not reading me, they're reading these characters stories and they're reading about those people and I in my head it's a very separate thing I don't really put myself too much into my book and also as a reader I'm not that reader that puts myself in the character's shoes I don't I know some people do but I'm not like that so I can get that sort of like a layer of separation and I think that's really what helps me to kind of write those scenes a bit more freely okay okay that makes sense so so then you does your first one does your first one exist in the world for people to read or is that something that's tucked away I'm just curious uh no actually only the brave tribe alley was my first book 
Okay. Okay. Yes, and so it exists up, out there. It does. Yeah. I ended up selling my first book. I mean, it's Amazing. definitely not anywhere near the version of the, the first iteration of that story, <laughs> all the revisions. Um, but yeah, it was actually, it was my first book that ended up, ended up selling. So you can, you can go and see that. So I'm curious in terms of your evolution as a writer of these steamy scenes, I'm guessing you can see it progress across your, your body of work. Yeah. And I think that my, my heat level definitely fluctuates. Okay. Well, um, because I've written for, so Harlequin has a line called dare, which is quite steamy. Those books are in first person. They are, you know, very heavy on the sex in those stories. And so, but then I've also written, small town romance which still has a bit of steam in it but is definitely like more on the tension rather than like lots of scenes Mm. so and I like the ability to play with heat level and to make it really appropriate to the characters rather than sort of forcing myself into a box and thinking okay well I need to have three scenes per book or whatever other arbitrary rules might be applied to it. Do you find that you enjoy writing one more than the other or are you across the board like you just enjoy writing them all? I'm getting less hot as I write more stories. And really? I've, yeah, and I've noticed that my books are getting longer as well. Okay. And yeah. so I think that there is just, and I mean this could just be a phase, it might change again, but I, I think at the moment I'm in a phase of like I really want really rich layered stories and I really have discovered that what I love is the build-up I Mm. love the tension I love that will they won't they feeling and so for me the sex scene is really important because it's about the characters connecting and you know bearing themselves and being vulnerable but um, I don't need to spend as much time on that exact thing if I do the build-up right okay okay that that makes total total sense so do you have a process when you sort of sit down to write these steamy scenes? Do you have some, like one, um, one author I talked to had a really great, I loved this, uh, where she assigns a scent to her characters. Oh. And when it, yeah, I thought this was so cool. And so when it came to, when she sits down to write those intimate moments, she picks up, you know, the bar of soap or whatever it is that, that she's assigned in terms of scent and sniffs it. And I was like, that is awesome. I might have to try that. Yeah. And I was like, that's a really great way to sort of, I don't know, kind of get out of your own head and like into your character a little bit. So I'm just wondering, is there anything that you do like that might be like that or not like that? Uh, Not really. I have to admit, I'm a really organic writer. Okay. And that I kind of like, you know, whenever I hand a synopsis into my agent, like she knows it's more of a loose guideline than anything else. Oh. I'll like get to a point and stop following it. <laughs> it's just, I, I have to like, I have to be in the story with my characters um, and I need to really know them as people in order to be able to write these kinds of scenes. And so that means at the start of the book, I have no idea what's going to happen. And I think that even writing the sex scenes is a bit the same. I need to get to that point in the story and really, I feel what they're feeling. And so then at that point I craft a scene that has the right tone that okay. they need. Like the tone is really important to me, whether it's a like, you know, clothes flying off, passionate up against the wall thing, or whether it's like really tender and exploratory. It's that's the, the kind of key thing that I focus on. And so often it's the scene before that I really start thinking about what that's going to look like. And I start 
you know, if I want it to be more intimate, I, I write a lot of weather. I don't know if that's a like coming from. Oh the my city. god, I <laughs> noticed that. I made a note of that in your in the scene yeah. you sent me. Yes. Yeah, I do. And so it's like if I want to increase the intimacy, I'll often have it storming or raining outside because it creates that like feeling of coziness and you know, sometimes I'll put them outdoors if I want them to feel like they're pushing boundaries. Like I do a lot with the setting and the weather uh, to, to create the, the right tone that I'm going for. I thought, oh, that's so funny that you bring that up because that was totally in my notes. Um, mm. I'm reading I'm, a little excerpt I pulled out where I, I noted that and I was like, that is a fascinating use of weather. And I, one that I never thought about, you know, I, mm. and it's genius. It's absolutely brilliant. And I had asked, like, is this something that you do intentionally? <laughs> yeah, I totally do. Yeah, it's um, weather always plays a huge part in my books. And it's like such a funny thing. I mean, I live, I come from Melbourne and I live in Toronto. And these are two cities that have like very distinct seasons. And mm. so I think that like weather is something that I find really interesting. So I know people always say, don't talk about the weather because it's boring. And I was like, no, weather's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> What, I mean, when you were writing, was there, when you started writing, you, was that, was this something you were consciously doing? Like I'm going to, you know, some people are a little bit more conscious about touch or smell or, or sound. And were you like conscious, like I'm going to make sure that I put, or did, did it just organically evolve? And then you were like, oh, okay, this is what I do. Yeah. I think the weather thing was definitely organic. And as I said before, like, as I published my first book, I was so green. I think I didn't, I didn't necessarily have that, like, you know, how people kind of write a couple of manuscripts before they get published yeah. and, you know, yeah. they learn a lot through that experience and you have that like exponential curve of knowledge that goes on in the early stages of learning a new skill. I kind of did that as I was getting published. And so I think that because of that, my process for a lot of this stuff has really formed just with every book that I write. Mm -hmm. And then at one point I'll notice that I do something and then it becomes more of a conscious thing. Yeah, like I found, you know, um, you know, I, I read a lot of like craft books. I don't know if you're the same way. Sometimes I feel like I just need to stop because it gets so overwhelming. Yeah. But where they talk about that sort of like, what's your, like the, like you have your, the goal of the characters in the story, but what is your overall theme of your book? And um, I, I can't think like that when I'm, when I'm writing, like, I don't sort of come to a book and say that, well, this is my theme. You know, I, if, if there's a theme, it just sort of organically evolves through writing the character's story. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually think that my best use for craft books, because I also do love craft books. I love doing workshops. Yeah. Um, to me, they're revision tools. They're not drafting tools. So I realized like pretty early on that when I'm writing the book, if I think too much about that stuff, it kills my momentum with a story. And mm -hmm. then I like get lost in the feeling of it and I can't write as easily. So for me, it's always, I just like you know, I, I write reasonably fast. And so I get the draft out as quickly as I possibly can. And then I send it off to my editor or whatever. And then when I'm revising it, that's when I'm using all of that stuff. And I'm like, oh, I can see the theme emerging here, but in this part of the book, it feels a little soft. So I'm going to try and strengthen that, or I'm going to bring this element out a little bit more, but I never do that while I'm actually writing the book. Okay. And sort of jump back a little bit. You had, you know, mentioned that your synopsis that you submit is usually <laughs> a very loose guideline. So yep. does that mean you're more of a, a, a plant as, as, as I'm called sometimes a planter, where you kind of outline but you kind of don't and you're kind of pantsing it because you sort of change your mind halfway through or are you are you an outliner no I think I'm sort of 
like forced into outlining because I've been traditionally published and you have to provide a synopsis. And so that became part of my process just because it was a requirement of the type of publishing that I was doing. But I I think um, if like left to my own devices, I spend a lot of time doing pre-work on the characters. I really Mm -hmm. try and get to know everything about them. But as for what happens in the story, uh, that's usually only have a very rough sketch. I might have one or two scenes in my head when I get started and I usually have an idea of how the book is going to open. But beyond that, I only know the people and I have to let that kind of guide me through the story. Oh, that's really pretty incredible. I love it. Okay. So um, you have 30 books. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Output. That's a lot of output. Um, how do you keep the steam scenes fresh? as a writer, because I was actually, again, just this morning realized I have to put a steam, uh, a steamy scene in where I didn't realize there was going to be one. And I was like, how do I write this? So it's not something that's I've already been like, that's already been written in the book. And so I'm just kind of wondering, how do you keep that freshness? I think again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it comes back to the characters for me. Because the characters are so unique and individual as people that even if you write two shower scenes, they're going to feel different because the people are different and what they're experiencing is different. I mean, I think like a very easy trick is to just change up the the setting in some way, whether it's like, you know, that they've moved into the kitchen instead of the bedroom or that they're doing it outside or something like that. You can, There's a lot of things that you can tweak to kind of make it feel fresh. But for me, really the main thing that makes a sex scene feel high quality and interesting and different is the emotions that are being explored in that scene. So whether it's that I have um, a character who, like in my very first book, Jasmine has a lot of scarring on her leg from a car accident. And so she Mm. puts on these like knee high socks to, in his mind, he thinks, oh, she's like, you know, doing a sexy thing but actually for her it's about covering her scars because she's self-conscious of them and so there's a moment where he goes to take them off and she becomes very afraid and I like putting fear in a sex scene in that way because I think it really increases the intimacy between the characters and then they have Mm. to make a decision of whether they trust that person or not and that really helps to make the scene feel unique to those characters. Oh, I actually love that idea. That's a really fantastic tip to take away. Put the fear, you know, add a little fear in there. Um, The other thing I noticed about the subjects of your books, they're so diverse. You had, like, one book was the PR executive and the business analyst. Then you have the ballet instructor and the football player, which I absolutely loved that. I was like, oh, I'm going to go back and read that one. (laughs) You have have romantic suspense. Like, you have all of these books. Is there a subgenre that you prefer writing in? Yeah, my heart belongs in romantic comedy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's. I love it so much. I love the like the silliness of it because I think that we could all stand to be a little more silly at times in our lives. Like especially this year, everything feels so serious. Yes. And yes. I just want something that's going to make me laugh. You know, I mean, I like an emotional layer underneath that. It needs depth, but you know, with Kissing Lessons, which is my latest release, like there's a whole thing in this book about how there's a llama that goes around and terrorizes everyone in the town. And it's just fun. Oh my God. I love, I, I love that. That's hilarious. That's well, okay. So Kissing, Kissing Lessons is your most recent book. It is part of the Kissing Creek series. And that was a romance themed town. You wrote a romance themed town. Mm-hmm. 
where did you get that idea? That was fantastic. So funny story about how this series got started. Uh, My editor basically came to me and said, look, we want another small town series from you. Um, so, you know, can you have a go at creating something? She's like, I really want to like lean into the quirkiness. Cause that's something that she thinks that I do well. So lean into the quirkiness and I want to give it a romance sounding name. So I do a bit of brainstorming and I was like, oh, okay. So I came up with a list of probably like 15 or 20 names. And honestly, I put kissing Creek in there as a bit of a joke because I thought it was ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> and of course that was the one that she's like, yes, that one. And I was like, oh my God, this name is just so silly and then I was like oh oh no this is interesting because I wonder how the people who live in the town like every time they have to write their address out how they feel about living in this town and so I decided that actually they love the name and they like leaned hard into it and so all the businesses have like kissing puns and their like town colors are pink and red and so it all came from the fact that I like, you know, made the dangerous mistake of joking with my editor about something. Um, and then the, from that like tiny little kernel, this whole wacky town got created. I actually think that it's a stroke of brilliance, frankly. Like I saw that and I was just like, that's genius because there's so much potential. Yes. I you mean, you do a lot with it. You, you really can. So is there a big blowout holiday Valentine's Day? Yeah, well, I'm thinking I haven't actually written a Valentine's Day book ever. So that would be a cool thing to add in this series. The next book in the series is going to be a Halloween book. Um, But yeah, I love the idea of just being able to write all these, I don't know, totally like they make a lot of jokes about Hallmark movies and romantic comedies. And it's just like such a goldmine for that stuff. It really is. I was like, oh my God, this is genius. So your most recent book in the series is Kissing Lessons. Um, What inspired that particular book? Uh, When we were sort of brainstorming the book, my, one of the editors that I work with likes to, to like challenge me to be like, Hey, do you think you could write a book about this? And my first instinct is usually, no, I don't want to write about that. And then I like go away and think about it. And with this book, she wanted a professor hero, which I have to be honest, was like, oh God, I don't know if I could do that. And then, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, how can I take that trope, which I think in the times that we live in currently can be kind of an uncomfortable trope, if not handled well. Hmm. And how can I make it so that he is this like absolute cinnamon roll of a hero and he's like just this delicious human and he's so kind and like good hearted and he like hunts for Agatha Christie books for his grandmother and is just like a like a golden human and then sort of building the book around that idea and having Audrey who is basically has given up her entire life to look after her siblings and has made like as many sacrifices as a person can make for her family and then the story becomes about her learning to understand that you know in order to help her siblings she needs to live her own life as well and provide that example for them that like you have to you have to care for yourself and you have to chase your dreams and you have to strive for something yeah Oh, wow. What, that's absolutely, I, I think that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> I actually love these two characters because um, you, you've got the scene that we're going to dig into is from Kissing Lessons. Um, and, I, and I really adored these characters. Um, so can you set up the scene for us before we dig into it? 
Yeah, so uh, Ronan is a professor at the local college and Audrey is, um, she's in her like mid to late 20s and she was taking one class a week with him um, for like a night school development. Um, But she's unfortunately had to drop out of the university because of the cost factor. And so they have just realised for the first time that they are no longer professor and student. And so all this attraction that they have been beating down essentially suddenly they don't have to do that anymore and and it becomes like a moment of revelation that actually maybe we can act on these feelings that we have. Oh, very, very cool. Okay, so I'm going to start and um, I actually sort of like hit it right at the very beginning. Um, So are we ready to dig in? Yep. Okay, cool. He took both her hands in his and started walking backward, bringing her along with him. In the dim light, his eyes looked strangely ethereal, and the lines of his face were sharper, more exaggerated. You're far more interesting than you give yourself credit for. I'd rather be beautiful, successful, formidable, powerful, free, something else, she said. You can be anything and everything you want. They were in his bedroom now, and he tugged her backward toward the spacious bed dominating the room but he didn't immediately pull her down and start stripping her. Instead, Ronan stared right into her eyes as if forcing her to focus and let her mind slow down. He was so beautiful, she wanted to pinch herself. Yeah, because that won't make you seem like a born-again virgin. But it was hard for someone like her to accept that good things wouldn't come with a hefty price tag. Life had taught her that any time she wanted something for herself, well, it always turned out to be out of her budget. Why wouldn't Ronan be the same? So long as you're not paying with your heart, you'll be fine. All right. See, I loved this setup. I I felt Mm. like just in these paragraphs, we're getting a lot of information about her in particular. Um, You know, she sort of feels like this woman whose self-esteem is like completely in the tank. Like she Mm. is just like, and, and that, and she was so relatable. She was so relatable because I think that, I think there's, there was a real universality in what you're writing in terms of like, you'd rather be somebody that you're not, you have, you feel like you have all of these like faults and failures and, and you're afraid to, I, I, I guess this is sort of the whole point, right? Show your vulnerability to another person. Mm. Yeah, for you sure. Know, you know, like, and I just really thought that this was kind of an extraordinary start to an intimate scene because without the actual physical intimacy happening you're getting like some really serious intimacy going on right on the page Mm, and I think intimacy starts with the mind doesn't it you know and then the body kind of follows so yeah I really I liked building that up for her and she is such a relatable character it's like the best thing to be able to write a happily ever after for her (laughs) oh Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Because she just, even in those sort of like, you know, just in that moment, I was like, man, is she likable? And I completely Mm. know where she's coming from. Okay. Let's go a little bit further down. I'm not saying anyone can do anything. I'm saying you can do anything because you're not average, Audrey. Her breath stuttered in the back of her throat. You don't have to flatter me, Ronan. I'm already here. I want you to see even a sliver of the potential you have. I want you to see a speck of what I see when I look at you. He fingered the lengths of her, of her, of her bow, which now hung loose and useless. Bow. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Woo. 
He fingered the length of her bow, lengths of her bow, which now hung loose and useless. I don't know whether you're afraid or if you really are blind to it, but I see Audrey. I see all of you. Okay, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. <laughs> For you as a writer, um, when you were at this point, like what what is happening between them here for you as the writer as you're writing this? I, I don't know if this is coming out right. I think so. My characters, especially Audrey, I think like even stronger than some of the other people that I've written. My characters are like onions, and mm. so every scene in the book is like peeling away more and more and more about trying to get to like who they are at the core of it. And like earlier in the book, when you meet Audrey, she's like so positive and upbeat and like nothing can touch her. And then the further you get into the story and the more he starts to understand who she is, you see just how much of herself she has chipped away for those around her. And until she really does believe that she has no potential at all. And that's like the moment in this scene that it's like, oh, like we've all had those low moments in our lives where we just think, what's the point of even trying? And that's kind of where Audrey's life has become. And I love pairing that with an intimate scene because I think that it's so real and, and understandable. So does that, does that mean like, um, so, oh my gosh, I had, I had a question and it just blanked right out of me. <laughs> Woo. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, does that, oh, her, 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 all her positivity, right. That you're talking about that she had at the beginning of the, of the book. Does that mean that was sort of a defense mechanism for her? Yes, absolutely. As she, um, like you learn over the course of this story that her mother passed away when she was 15 or 16. And so she's basically, and her dad is kind of a bit of a deadbeat. So she's basically been caring for her siblings ever then. And like one of the big things in the story is that she's never visited her mother's grave. And Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's because she believes that if she breaks down, she'll be so broken that she'll never be able to put herself back together again in order to look after her brothers and sisters. Okay. And so she, her sunshine is absolutely like a deflection of the things that she really feels. And he is a, um, his area of study is positive psychology. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. I was going to, I was about to ask what, what type of professor is he? <laughs> yeah. So he studies happiness. And so it's, oh, wow. re- it's like, a, I actually read a nonfiction book on this topic, which was kind of where the theme for this started to emerge as I was writing. And so I wanted to look at like, what is the difference between the happiness that we see externally from someone and the happiness that we actually feel inside? Do you, do you find that you get, do you find like you get ideas and nuggets of ideas from nonfiction works that you're reading? I'm just curious. Totally. I get that like literally from everywhere. Like I, I do read a bit of nonfiction. I also enjoy like just reading random stuff on the internet because I never know where a story is going to spark from. Yeah. And it's almost like I have this, I don't know, like a storage case in my brain where all this stuff goes in and I don't actively think about it. And then all of a sudden at a point in one story in the part of the story, I'll just be like, Oh, that thing that I read two years ago, is going to be what I'm going to draw on for this book. But it's not a, it's a very like passive process. It just kind of happens as I write. Right. Oh, that's really amazing. Okay. All right. So I'm going to keep going. You can see more of me, she whispered as she drew the hem of her top up and over her head every last inch. Her hands went to her jeans and she popped the button slowly. In the quiet, almost blotted out by the soft drumming rain was Ronan's breath. His eyes looked dark, his jaw tight as he watched her undress. 
She towed off her sneakers and then her jeans hit the floor. Stepping out of the pile, she brought her hands behind her back and released the clasp on her bra. It felt good to shed everything, to take it back to the physical. I love this so much because I felt like, again, there's these like, what, what are we, one, two, three paragraphs were saying so much. Mm. Uh, it was like Audrey was sort of saying, you can see more of me while she means it as a physical stripping thing. Yet I also felt like she meant internally, even if she's not admitting it to herself in that particular moment. Am I mm. reading too much into that or is that? No, I totally. Right? She's not a character that lets people in. Yeah. Partially because she just doesn't, like her life is so hectic and so full of responsibility that she doesn't have the space for anything beyond the necessary and everything with Ronan is about want rather than need. Mm -hmm. And so just the act of her even being there in the first place is sort of like the first time that she's nurturing a a desire that she has. And so it's like letting him see that her as like, as someone who can want, who has the space for want in their life. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. For a moment, there was a void, sound and light and feeling all blotted out by the wave of ripeness and release that ebbed through her. She discarded the pillow and looked down into the dim light to see Ronan resting his cheek against her inner thigh. His eyes were like fire. The light shifted as the summer storm swelled outside, showing Audrey the details of him in flashes, the lips that had brought her to the brink, the eyes that she wanted to drown in, the hand he rested on her leg. This is where the use of the weather really jumped out at me. And um, I loved how it kind of mirrored what was going on with them. It did enhance that, that, that intimacy that was happening between them. And then the other thing that I just sort of like struck me is all of the scenes that really jumped out to me in terms of the intimacy were not the physical action like he just Mm -hmm. went down on her they you know he just gave her oral sex she just had an orgasm yet it wasn't that wasn't necessarily the intimate moment that sort of jumped out at me and made me sort of sigh Mm, (laughs) yes you know it was it was these sort of you know not really kind of non-physical moments between them that I thought were super um, super touching and also and also very sexy. Mm. I think that they they're also the things that can sometimes get lost when we focused a little bit too much on the choreography of a scene. Yeah, that you know it's almost like and I, I've read books where it's like you know even if there's only one sex scene I think the the point that it starts to feel a bit like oh I want to skip the pages is when you are so focused on the act that the, the scene doesn't have any room to breathe yeah like you need those kind of peaks and falls and those pause moments to let the characters um sort of figure out what they're feeling in that space and to like actually experience what's going on as opposed to it being like a bit of a freight train towards the end Mm. oh I love that yeah yeah I was it's funny because when I sat down again today I I started you know going through it and I kept deleting because I was like no this is not about the this is not about the choreography this is not about where her hand goes or his hand goes or whatever this is about something else and I just kind of wasn't sure what that something else was I think Mm. Um, so this is kind of helping me wrap my head around at least my choices for what that something else could be. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people are afraid to, 
like give space for a sex scene for that stuff too. Like I do sometimes see people being like, oh, why is there so much talking when there's a sex scene going on? And it's like, well, because one, it's weird to just be completely silent when you have sex. <laughs> That's weird, right? <laughs> and two, it's like two people connecting. Like we want to see that connection. It's not just about getting to the end. It's about the, like what they learn from one another. Right, right. Okay. Ronan rose off the bed and took a step back. Audrey looked like a goddess spread out on his bed, hair fanned out behind her, and her lips parted in anticipation. He tore his t-shirt off without any finesse or teasing because as far as he was concerned, they'd waited long enough already. The sound of his belt cut through the quiet room, and soon it joined the floor, along with his shoes, socks, and jeans. He stood in his underwear for a moment, enjoying the way her eyes roamed his, bo his body, eagerly sucking in every detail. He drew the last item down over his hips, feeling his cock spring out and bob against his stomach. God, he was hard. So hard it was almost as if he hadn't gotten himself off nightly for the last few weeks, like some horny teenager. He went to find his wallet and prayed that he hadn't thrown the spare condom away at some point. Victory! With a relief, relie relieved release of breath, he returned to the bedroom and tore it open. So we had a perspective swap at, at one point. So mm -hmm. we're now kind of in, his, in Ronan's world. And I thought he was fantastic. And, you know, he's not terribly alpha, which mm. I so appreciated. Um, I tend not to write alphas. Or at least that's sort of the more typical alpha asshole-y kind of guys, yeah. you know. Um, but I do know readers tend to love them. And so I'm kind of curious, like, for you, how do you craft your heroes? Yeah, I think, I think early on when I started writing romance, I definitely fell into that trap of thinking that that was the only type of hero that people wanted to read. Yeah. And it never felt authentic to me because... Uh, I'm that sort of like, I don't know, I think I have a fairly strong personality myself. And if I wouldn't let the hero treat me the way that he's treating the heroine in the book, then I can't get on board with the romance. So yeah. if for me, it's sort of like I have some characters, some heroes that are a little bit more cold and closed off, or I have some that are really open and loving and caring like Ronan is, but they all have to be I think they have to be well-motivated. That's the thing that I always come back to with heroes particularly is that we can make anything believable so long as we motivate it in the right way okay. um, because that's the difference between someone just being a bit of a, a not nice person versus someone that's damaged and damaged is appealing, but I don't want the alpha stereotype in my books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, I noticed oftentimes the the alpha asshole will redeem himself sort of by the end, but mm. it's still always, it's not something that I'm personally comfortable writing, you no. know, because I don't, I don't, maybe I don't know enough men that are like that, or I don't allow, I, I've never allowed that into my life or in, within that relationship because, you know, I've sort of felt like as soon as you treat me like shit, like I'm out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like I had a relationship when I was younger that was very controlling and, yeah. um, you know, kind of borderline emotionally abusive. And I think after I exited that and then met the man who's now my husband, I, I can't put that into a book. Like yeah. I just, I just can't. There's like a part of me that always thinks in the back of my mind, if a young woman picks up my book and reads it what example am I setting to her about the health of relationships and what she should expect from romance yeah 
Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I because it wasn't something that I had consciously done because, because I write rock star romances well, for the moment. Um, <laughs> um, for the moment. <laughs> I know for the moment for right now I, I actually also write parent um a paranormal not not PNR I write urban fantasy um as well uh, separately and so I'm sort of I have another urban fantasy idea that I think might end up being a PNR but anyway um, <laughs> you know I ended up writing uh the rock stars were actually the women in my book as well as the men uh too but but and I was sort of amazed I didn't think that I was doing anything all that original but then when the readers started coming back and they were like I loved that the musicians were the girls and I was like wait what this is weird <laughs> yeah yeah, that's funny, isn't it? When you discover, like, oh, I've done something that completely subverted a trope in the genre, and I had no I, idea. I, know. I was like, oh wait, this is weird, you know, because I, I, you know, in my day job, I have worked with a number of musicians, and there were always women in the band, mm. you know, and um, and then I guess it is kind of weird, but I was like, oh, and I enjoy, and and because I want them to be the creative forces in these books too, um, which I thought was kind of fascinating to sort of see that. I think that there is this sort of like uh, where the, I guess, like you're saying where the holes are within the genre that need to be filled. And I think that there is an appreciation, you know, I don't know that we give the readers enough credit. Yeah. I also, I really do believe that there is a reader for every type of book. So, you know, even though we tend to see that there are people that are very like, you know, will devour every type of like elf, elf hole, bad boy kind of book out there. And, you know, that's like, I never shame anyone for reading anything. So that's totally cool if that's what they like. But there's also people that really love these like down to earth, like good guy characters, which is what I tend to gravitate towards. Even my book that came out before this one, it's very much the same thing. It was just a guy who was a really decent, good person. And, you know, I think that in this day and age, uh, maybe more people are coming across to those types of heroes because we're a little bit sick of seeing alf holes every time we turn on our TV. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. I, I, like, so writing, I, I, I like writing the nicer guys, you know, I really do. Um, okay. And this is probably the most explicit we're getting here in terms of like what I've picked out. His cock rubbed at her entrance, sliding between her slickness as he coated himself in her. Then she reached down between her legs and guided him into her. He pushed up and, in one fluid moment, the shock of how tight she was enveloped him. Give me a second, she came forward, bracing one palm against his chest and squeezing her eyes shut. After a brief respite, she let out a soft moan and started moving her hips, rocking back and forth. Oh, yes. I love that she needed that second. Mm. I felt like it grounded this moment between them in such reality and that she, and again, it kicked that intimacy level kind of into overdrive where she's being very vulnerable there by saying, wait, give me a second. Yeah. And I, I think that it's realistic as well. I mean, she's a character that probably hasn't had sex for quite a long time because her life doesn't really allow for it. Yeah. generally and you know sometimes like I don't know I have a bit of a pet peeve about like that stuff not being acknowledged in sex okay. that it might uh, that you do need to take a moment that you yeah yeah that sometimes it's you know if it's been a while that that it might feel like that or that you might have a moment of 
embarrassment or, you know, a bit like where you go, like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing or, you know. <laughs> Am I doing this right? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I think that everyone's had those feelings during, yeah. during that kind of a moment in their real life. And I don't know, I think it, I think it's special to acknowledge that on the page. I do too. I do too. And I never quite, I guess I never consciously thought about it, which is, but I completely agree. Like we do have those moments, um, you know, where we fumble, Mm. frankly, you know, and, and that does make it all the more, all the more real. So I have a, I have a question and this might be hard to like come up with an answer and I'm sorry, I'm kind of springing it at you. (laughs) Um, Do you remember the very first steamy scene that you read? I have a vague recollection of it being two people in a cabin in the woods during a storm, funnily enough. So maybe that's where the thing comes from. (laughs) But (laughs) But I can't tell you what book it was. I can't tell you, like, I, I remember like pinching a book off my mum's bookshelf and like reading the naughty bits when I was younger. And, but I can't remember anything more than that. Do you, do you remember what your reaction was to it? Oh, I think I was a bit, like, I was probably younger than I should have been really. Cause I used to borrow my mum's Jackie Collins books when I was like 13. I probably... feel like we all were younger than we were supposed to be when we started yeah. picking these things up. Yeah, Right. So I just think I remember being a bit like scandalized by it because I was young and didn't really know anything much. I really wish I could remember what book it was. I'll have That's... to ask my mum. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's another find that book moment. So uh, what we've got is a scene and a cavern d- during a storm. Mm. <laughs> it's like, That's, yeah, it's pretty vague. I <laughs> wish I could remember more. It's kind of amazing to me how, you know, if like those groups that do a lot of, you know, find that book stuff, it's uh, how vague it can be and somebody unearths it. It's like, it's it's extraordinary. It's amazing, yeah. It truly really is. So, okay, kind of a goofy question. You're a zombie lover. Have you yes. ever thought about writing in the zombie romance niche because it is a thing uh I have thought about writing post-apocalyptic but not in the romance space so I like read pretty widely and I also want to write pretty widely um in the future so I have definitely thought about it but not zombie romance no oh yeah because it's it's a thing like you know yeah how if I miss this I don't know warm bodies kind of was the oh, one yeah. that broke out but there but there's a whole there's a whole genre of um of zombie romance wait like where the people are zombies yeah like, really like where the love interests are zombies oh okay I have never heard of this. I've heard of warm bodies I must admit but I didn't no, it was a thing. I'm yeah, shocked. it's a thing. It's a thing. Look it up. Look huh. it up. <laughs> oh, I totally will. <laughs> Which is it's like super fun. And I guess I guess uh, Drew Barrymore's um, Netflix series and the name just escaped oh, me. Might is this, fall into is it that. Santa Clara? I never know how to pronounce. Oh, the, the place. Santa Clarita Diet. Clarita. That's, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. So yeah, apparent. I guess that could kind of maybe fall into um, into this genre. But yeah, there. It's a thing. Mm, that's it's fascinating. Because yeah, I've definitely read like zombie books where there was like a romantic thread through it, but I would definitely would not call them romance. Romance, novels. right, right. So you want to write outside of romance? Yeah, I do. Yes, yay. I do. Um, do you think you're ever going to have the time? Though you're busy. 
Yeah, I am experimenting with a few things at the moment. And it was funny that you mentioned urban fantasy before, because that was one of the, the genres that I really have um, come to enjoy recently. I started it. reading it, but I also love cozy mysteries as well. Uh, I do too. <laughs> it's so fun, right? Yeah, I don't think I could write a cozy though. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I grew up reading a lot of Agatha Christie. That was like basically where I started like mm-hmm. my adult book reading as like a, you know, young yeah. teenager was a lot of those type of books. And I used to read um, Carrie Greenwood who wrote the Friday Fisher murders. And so I would love to try that as well. I'm just going to have to carve out some time. Yeah. Yeah. I love urban fantasy. I always sort of say like my characters are either fucking or fighting. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> I absolutely love urban fantasy. And the iron, the ironic thing is I can write a, a fight scene is like is like one of the fastest scenes I can write. Oh, really? See, anytime I try yeah. and do anything actiony, I like grind to a halt because I'm like, wait, how does really? this work? Yeah, really? I can't, it's I find it really tough. Really? Because for me, it is like one of the easiest, breeziest things I can write, and I up the ante every time. I mean, my first book, I have like the character, like you know, like picking up a piece of. Um, Oh God! What are those things called on the side of the road? The metal barriers, right? Um, oh yeah, like the a metal bond. road. Yeah, the metal road barrier, and picking like that up, and because she's got like the superhuman human strength, and and decapitating an attacker. Like I just get so gross and so over the top. With <laughs> I the, love it <laughs> with the fight scenes and the violence, and I am just like, bring it on! But for some reason, like when it comes to like that, those these really quiet, intimate moments between characters, it's like, oh God, can't do it. <laughs> I find it so fascinating what some authors find really easy and really hard versus other people. Cause like I have people that like they live for the black moment in a story and mm-hmm. that's the scene that I will rewrite it three times before the book comes out because I just can never get it right the first time. I hate every moment of it. I don't like being mean to my characters. Oh, see, and that's where I am. I am like so down with that. Like I am just break, I will break their hearts and I have no problem with it. Mm. I am like, break your heart. I mean, actually in this one that I'm writing, I'm like, I think, I think my main character is crying too much. Like, I think my heroine is crying too much and I'm like, stop crying. (laughs) So I need to go back and rewrite. But, um, but, uh, you know, cause I'm like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm making her cry too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so interesting because it's, you know, there's like the characters that feel, this sounds so corny, but they, they feel like real people to me mm-hmm. and then when I have to be yeah. horrible to them I just like I actually end up in like a I mean I was in a bad mood the day that I write the black moment because it's like I feel what they're feeling and I think yeah. it's I don't like feeling upset so that I when I have to do oh, it I'm okay. like no I don't want to <laughs> yes you know I will I will sit there I love it when I'm sitting there and I'm crying like I love making myself cry and I love having that sort of feeling in the pit of my stomach and I leave I, I, and I especially I mean obviously like when I get up and walk away like I feel that that relief wash over me and mm. I actually really enjoy having that relief of being able to get up and walk away like that particular feeling so I do like living in the black moments with my characters yeah that's interesting isn't it I suppose there is some catharsis that comes from you know writing people that are in a dark place that then yeah. triumph over that yeah yeah, I, I think that's it, that I know I'm going to get them out of it. And I know that they're going to, when when we get to the end, they are going to have the happy, the happiness that they deserve and that mm. they need, you know. And I think maybe that's why I really do enjoy putting them through the ringer. 
it is a very satisfying, even if I don't necessarily enjoy it at the moment, like once I push past that scene and I get to write the ending there, I feel so satisfied that they've worked hard to become these better people that deserve to, you know, a relationship that fulfills. And like, I really, yeah, there is something really satisfying. I think that's why people read romance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it, because you do get to that happiness at the end and mm. it feels good. So where can readers find you? I these days I'm most active on Facebook, Instagram, and my with my newsletter as well. So mm-hmm. uh, my website has all the details. It's www.stephanie with an F because my parents hate me. London.com. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it cursed me to a lifetime of having to correct forms. <laughs> I know I had to. I kept retyping and retyping because I was like, no, uh, that's wrong. No, that's right. It's very conscious. Time. Very, very <laughs> conscious. Yeah. So Stephanie with an F uh, dash London.com. And then basically you'll be able to find everything on there. Yeah. And I will have in the show notes, I'll have all the links to everything. So Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to do, do this. It was such a treat to have you and definitely learned a lot. Oh, thank you so much. This was a really fun conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm really glad that you did. Cool. Come back. Come back. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So we'll talk to you soon then. Great. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.